Let's turn our Bibles to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, for the Old Testament reading. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And now please turn with me to Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 63. Luke 22, 63 through 71. The word of God continues. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him, And beat him, and having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. This ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Bring you greetings from Pilgrim OPC in Raleigh. We are sister churches. We're thankful for that. And I thank the session for this opportunity to be with you and to preach the word to you and administer the sacrament this morning. When we come to this text in the New Testament, it is a critical time in the earthly life of Jesus, of course. In a matter of hours, he would be hanging on a cross They would charge him with crimes he did not commit and treat him shamefully, nail him to a cross where he would die for us sinners. He had been arrested at this point. He had been taken before Annas, the father of the high priest, Caiaphas. He had been led to Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin and had met with them already. And at this time, or shortly thereafter, Peter had denied him. So that's where this text picks up. And in the midst of Luke, by the Holy Spirit, describing 
what happens to Jesus and the abuse he takes and the suffering he goes through for us, we learn a lot about the Lord Jesus. We learn more about who he is, what he is in this text. How do you get to know someone? You ask them questions. You listen carefully. You have to think. You have to think about someone else. You have to study to get to know that person. You have to show an interest in someone else. Well, in this text of Scripture, if we listen and watch and meditate, we can learn more about our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know more about him? I hope so. We don't just get converted and say, well, that's all I need to know, do we? We want to learn more. So here is more about our Savior. Paul had this quest, and he mentioned it in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Philippians 3, verse 10. We want to know him. We want to know Christ personally. And that includes knowing the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection is the same power that will raise our bodies from the grave at the last day. Our family had uh, two funerals recently. My wife's uh, brother died on a Thursday, I think it was, and my mother died on a Saturday. So we were busy going to South Carolina and Virginia, and we saw their bodies for the last time. And the thing about funerals is we're always reminded that God will raise those bodies from the dead. That's our glorious hope that not only will our bodies be raised, but they will be raised and taken up to be with the Lord, united with our souls forever and ever. Paul wanted to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, which our elder just mentioned. Paul wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul didn't just want to know how much Christ suffered. He wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. He was willing gladly to suffer with Christ. And now, of course, we want to know more about Jesus Christ. The old hymn says, more about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. More about Jesus, let me learn, more of his holy will discern, spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. That should be our prayer. That as we get to know him more and more, his greatness, his power, his glory, his perfection, 
we will want to become more like him, and we will, by his grace and spirit. So this morning I speak to you to answer this question, who is this Jesus, with four answers. First, he is the suffering one. Second, he is the Christ. Third, he is the Son of Man. Fourth, he is the Son of God. He's the suffering one. He's the Christ. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. First, he is the suffering one in verses 63 through 65. These men were holding Jesus in verse 63, and they mocked him and beat him. which they didn't have to do. This was an interval of time before he would be taken in front of the Sanhedrin again in verse 66. So they could have just been there with him and watched him and made sure he didn't get away, but no. No, they, verse 63 says, mocked him and beat him. They made sport of him. They made sport of the Son of God. He was willing to undergo this humiliation so that sinners could be saved. Furthermore, in verse 64, they blindfolded him. They struck him on the face and said, Who is the one who struck you? You claim to be a prophet. And then, in verse 65, many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. And we think, how in the world could anyone do that to Jesus? I mean, even non-Christians, don't they say this was a good man? Don't they say, if we just lived like Jesus did, that'd be a good thing? But they beat him. They mocked him. What does this say about them? Well, we, we think they're the lowliest of creatures, right? That's as low as it gets. And yet... What they show to us is the human nature that we all have. They show to us how we come into this world with this sinful nature. Yes, most of us here today are believers, but what are we capable of? Romans 8, 7, and 8. The carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 7, and 8. That's our nature. You may say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Well, so am I. <laughs> We're still capable of some awful things, aren't we? We still are, and that's why Paul wrote in Romans 7 what he was going through. 
in 7.15, Romans 7.15, for what I'm doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate I do. Have you ever said that to yourself? Why do I do these things that I know are wrong and I don't want to do them, but I do them? Of course you have. We all have. But then we come to the end of Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's our only hope. He's our only help. Jesus suffered at the hands of men who were sinful, and they remind us of our sinful nature. And he became the suffering one and went through all this humiliation to save sinners. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. He was suffering for someone else, for someone's else. Now, most of our suffering, let's be honest, is because of ourselves. <laughs> he was suffering for someone else. And to save them, to save us. The justice of God requires that sin be punished, and Jesus took that punishment for us. Someone had to suffer in our place, and he did. And he became the suffering one willingly. Most of our suffering is not willing. I, I don't want pain, do you? I, I don't want a headache. I don't want the doctor to say to me, well, I'm referring you to the surgeon. I don't want him to say that. But I'm glad the surgeon helps me, takes care of me, and involves some pain. Jesus did this willingly. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again, he said. And he laid down his life for others. Jesus became the suffering one and set an example. This is by no means the primary thing we learn from Jesus' suffering, that we should follow him and suffer. It's not the primary thing. So I don't want you to think that I said it's, the prim it's not the primary thing. The primary thing is he suffered to save us. But secondarily, Peter picks this up, 1 Peter 2.21 for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, 21. So, if we're going to follow in Jesus' steps, we will suffer, because he is the suffering one. Secondly, Jesus is the Christ. In verses 66 through 68, 
Jesus was taken to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin <clears throat> is the highest Jewish court. It's composed of 70 people, like our Supreme Court. Our Supreme Court's not that large, but it's like our Sup Supreme Court, and it includes scribes, rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, and elders. So verse 66 says, as soon as it was day, he was taken before the Sanhedrin. He had already been before the Sanhedrin and met with them previously, but someone could not be convicted for a capital crime legally in the nighttime. So as soon as it was daytime, they hated him so much, they were just waiting for the sun to rise, and Jesus was taken again before the Sanhedrin. And before them, in verses 66, 67, and 68, he is urged to admit that he is the Christ. Verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. So they want him to admit it. And this was a trap. They were not sincere. Many people thought the Christ would be a literal king, a political king. So in that sense, he would be a threat to the Roman government and they could bring this charge against him and get him crucified. So they wanted him to admit he was the Christ, a revolutionary, the Roman government would think. And Pilate would surely sentence him to death. But think of this. This, this is the odd thing about this. If Jesus really were the Christ, as they conceived him to be a political figure, then they would actually be rejoicing because they wanted to be released from the Roman government. So you see how malicious were their motives and actions. Tell us. Tell us you're the Christ. Verse 68. Well, at the end of verse 67, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And it if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Jesus knew they weren't really serious, and he wasn't going to admit it. He wasn't going to say, yes, I am the Christ. However, he is the Christ in the true sense of the word, not in the way they understood it but in the true sense of the word. So the Christ, or the Messiah, the Hebrew term, means the anointed one. The Lord Jesus Christ was the anointed one. He's mentioned in the Old Testament too. In Psalm 2, he's mentioned, the, the anointed one. And he's mentioned here. And truly, Jesus Christ was anointed as prophets, priests.
priests, and kings were anointed in public ceremony in the Old Testament period. Christ was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he read that passage in the synagogue, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord anointed him, descended upon him like a dove, equipped him for the ministry, for the ministry of salvation, for the ministry of preaching, for the ministry of releasing the captives from the captivity of sin, for giving sight to the blind and giving healing to the lame. The Spirit of God anointed him. He he is, Jesus is, the anointed one. Anointed to his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, teaching us, teaching his church by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. As priest, making the one perfect sacrifice for our sins and interceding for us right now, this very moment, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Anointed as king, to bring us into his kingdom, make us citizens of his kingdom, ruling over us, defending us from our enemies, and letting us reign with him for all eternity. Yes, Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, though at this point he didn't admit it. And this has a very practical application to all of us who are Christians. From the Heidelberg Catechism, number 32. Why are you called a Christian? Because by faith, I am a member of Christ. And so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. We are anointed ones if we follow Jesus Christ. We too are anointed with the Holy Spirit that we might serve him in this world and be his witnesses. But secondly, Christ is the anointed one. Thirdly, Jesus is the Son of Man. In verse 69, hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Jesus continues speaking to these men of the Sanhedrin. I will tell you this, he says, the Son of Man, which he called himself, will sit on the right hand of the power of God. You may think very lowly of me, but I am the son of man, and I will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Now, I doubt that they understood this, but he was telling them something significant. Well, he calls himself the son of man. We read in Daniel earlier about one like a son of man coming to the throne and coming to the ancient of days, and he was given a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. 
And Jesus did ascend to heaven. And he is a king, and he does have a kingdom. He called himself the Son of Man here, as the Old Testament mentions the Son of Man. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19.10. Matthew 9.6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Matthew 9, 6. So when people challenged him, you know, you can't do this. Only God can forgive sins. Well, that's right. (laughs) And Jesus was God, and he said, I'll show you. And of course, he healed the man, and he forgave the man. The Son of Man does this. The Son of Man is God. And he will be at the right hand of the power of God. And he is right now, as we sit here, as you sit here and I stand here this this morning. He is now at the right hand of God. Jesus would soon be crucified. He would die. He would be laid in a cave. He would arise from the dead His exaltation begins, being raised from the dead. He was going through his humiliation now, the lowest part being his death and remaining in a state of death for a period of time. But then comes the exaltation. He's raised from out of the grave, stays on earth for 40 days and teaches his disciples And then what happens? Then he ascends back to heaven. He disappears in the clouds. His body goes up in the air. And the disciples see him leave. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Psalm 110, verses 1 and 5, foreshadowed this. Psalm 110, 1 and 5. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord, capital L, small O-R-D, the Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. Psalm 110, 1 and 5. The Son of Man at the right hand of God taught in Psalm 110. Stephen was being put to death because he was a believer, a follower of Jesus. And as he was being persecuted, very near his death, Acts 7.56 says, he says, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Acts 7.56 But I thought he was sitting at the right hand of God. He's standing. And why is he standing? Because he takes care of his own. Because he was observing this. Because he knows everything that's happening to us. And he cares. 
and he will deliver us. He did not deliver Stephen from being put to death, but he delivered him after that. The Son of Man at the right hand of God. And so Jesus is saying, you judge me, I am the Son of Man. I will be at the right hand of the power of God. I will be judging you. And you know, we have to prepare for that day too. Romans 20 verse 12 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, Romans 20, 11, and 12. All right. Did you know we'll be judged according to our works? I know that makes us uncomfortable. That makes Reformed people uncomfortable. be judged by our works and our works are written in books and the books will be opened first we have to be born again we have to repent of our sins by the power of the spirit who gave us new life and we have to trust in Jesus Christ and commit ourselves to him then we do good works not for salvation but because of salvation, because salvation has already happened. So the works that we do day by day are very important. The way I talk to my wife is important. The way I treat my children and my fellow human beings and what I do in private when no one else sees me is important because we'll be judged according to our works. And the Son of Man will judge. Fourthly, Jesus is the Son of God. In verses 70 and 71, Jesus admits he is the Son of God. In verse 70, then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? They gave up on Christ. Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. Here's an open answer. He admitted it. He declared that he was the Son of God. Remember the baptism of Jesus? The voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Remember the transfiguration of Jesus? The voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Son of God. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark 1, verse 1. Matthew 16, 16, Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. Jesus referred to God as his Father many times. 
because he is the son of God. But the court gets its evidence in verse 71, and they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So, they thought they had what they needed to get him convicted. Son of God means he's God. Son of God means God in John 10, 33 and 36. The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Then in John 10, 36, Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So in John 10, 33 and 36, even the Jews recognized this claim that claiming to be the Son of God was claiming to be God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. He is God the Son. He is the second person of the Trinity. Many people believe there is a man named Jesus. Many people believe he was a good man and he should be imitated by natural means in the flesh. It's not good enough to believe Jesus was a good man. A good man he was. The only perfect one. But just a good man cannot save us. It's impossible. He is God. He has always been God. He added a human nature to his divine when he came to earth. So our shorter catechism 21 asks, who is the redeemer of God's elect? The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal son of God, became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. To be the son of God is to be God. So, we know that Jesus is the suffering one. We know that he is the Christ. We know that he is the Son of Man. We know that he is the Son of God. And we need to repent of our sins and commit ourselves to him and continue to do that all our life long. We need the new birth so that we can do that. And then the more we know about him, the more we will love him, the more we will respect him, the more we will see how desperately we need him, the more we will want to be close to him and like him. More about Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, 
hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying, mine, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you that he was willing to suffer for our sakes, and that he was all these things and is all these things for us. Father, thank you for your mercy in saving sinners by Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you for your Spirit who applies the truth to our hearts, and by him we pray. Let us honor our Lord Jesus Christ by everything we do and say and think. Amen. Amen.